0: Welcome to the Weave Podcast. My name is Sarah Resnick, and I'm the host of this podcast and the owner of the online weaving yarn shop, Gist Yarn and Fiber. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Weave Podcast. I can hardly believe it! Thank you all so much for listening, commenting, sharing, and being part of this podcast community. Do you want to help more weavers and fiber artists find their way to the podcast? Leave us a five star review on iTunes. It really, truly helps, plus it gives me so much joy to read your reviews and hear what you think of what we're doing. Thanks! This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Lauren and Cass Hernandez, Australian-born sisters of Filipino heritage based in Sydney and founders of Crossing Threads. Their work is truly distinctive and highly textural, and I've been looking forward to having them on the podcast for a long time. Hello, I'm so glad to have both of you on the podcast today. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having us. Can you both start out by introducing yourselves and sharing how you found your way towards weaving? Sure thing.
1: So I'm Lauren. And I'm Cass. And we are the sisters behind Crossing Threads, a Sydney-based duo based out of Sydney, Australia. And um, yeah, we work together in creating one-of-a-kind woven art pieces for both private collectors and commercial spaces.
2: Yeah, and uh, to answer your question, we found our way towards weaving um, purely from a serendipitous moment. Uh, Two thousand and fifteen for lauren 's birthday, I bought her a weaving workshop because we thought it would be a nice Sicily bonding activity that we could do one weekend and We took a a four hour workshop and we caught weaver fever didn 't even stop to take our lunch while everyone else had a break and It was a hobby that we could you know share together and creatively pursue that turned into a passion project and We created an Instagram profile just to purely document our process and soon as we know it, it turned into a side hustle. Um, So for three years we were largely doing this on the side uh, while we were working full time. At the time, I was a project delivery analyst in financial technology, (laughs) implementing (laughs) trading software uh, to banks as well as
1: dealers. And Lauren? Yeah, and then I'm I'm a practicing graphic designer and largely work in the advertising industry here in Sydney. So a lot of ad-, ad advertising agencies and crossing threads for us was this thing on the side that we managed to keep on breathing despite the 40-hour working week. But um We both believed in it and we still do to this day. And this year, we really took the next leap in dedicating more time to building the business. And um, I left full-time work this year and Cassie is currently on her six-month sabbatical. Yeah, so
2: I'm currently (laughs) in month three of my six-month sabbatical, which allows me to walk away from my corporate nine-to-five. Um, and what this means is that I can come back to my job at the end of the period, but it's just a good way for me to dip my toes into the creative life and really have the energy both physically and mentally uh, to focus on crossing threads. So, yeah, we never set out to do this as a business, when we as you know, something to grow up to, um, but it just naturally and organically evolves that.
0: Wow. I have so many questions that come out <laughs> from that. Thanks for sharing that. So going back to when you first took this class together, what was it about weaving in particularly that made you so excited? And when you got home, you know, what were the first few things that you started working with and that you started weaving?
2: Yeah, well, it's Cassia. here. Um, For me, it's been the only form of self-expression that I have found that allows me to be very present and to calm my mind. Uh, so working in a corporate nine to five, I definitely had my stressful moments where it got in the way. Um, but also, it, weaving allowed me to comfortably sit by myself and alone with my thoughts. And <clears throat> for me, it allows me to be totally engrossed within the creative process. And I, every time I come back to it, I have this unending passion and creative energy that I just want to unleash through my hands. And that's what practically calls me back to to weaving um, each time. So.
1: Yeah, and I think like, you know, looking at that first workshop, um, we actually learnt from um, Natalie Miller, who's one of I guess you know everyone knows her, she's one of Australia's pioneers in the fibre art world and is like, you know, doing so much today. And we learnt from her in that first four hours of the workshop and when we got home I guess I was like, I've always been drawn to fiber and I was like, where is my yarn in my, in my home? Where is the wool? And you know, just trying to get my hands on my own collection of yarn and rehearsing what we've learnt in that workshop. And I guess from then on, like every weekend um, when we had free and we weren't currently living together as well, we would meet up on the weekend and bring our weaving materials and just familiarize ourselves with those techniques and also experiment ourselves. So there was a large, that early, early stage of our, I guess, introduction to weaving was largely experimentation and finding our groove and seeing what fibers that we preferred to use. And uh, yeah, it was just a forever ending lesson and journey discovering and exploring new ways.
0: You have a really distinctive style. I'm curious to hear you both describe what that is. But from from what I can see, it looks really heavy and thick and textured and lots of undulating waves and lines. And I'm curious, how did that style develop? And what is it about that style that, that calls to both of you?
2: yeah well both of us have just been drawn to texture and especially with the weaving practice we took the time to experiment and to find our aesthetic and authentic voice the last thing you want to do is kind of like you know copy something the other makers have truly you know put the hard sweat and tears into creating um <clears throat> so one of our most archetypal designs is the internet technique that we've kind of called it it's this intuitive um not premeditated form of knotting and this was actually birth from a time of grief when I unexpectedly I unexpectedly lost my grandfather-in-law Tata and before losing him um, I was staring at this blank loom for, for weeks and then when we suddenly lost him I had all this emotional energy pent up inside and I just started knotting and there was no actual structure to it and it was just about creating um, texture and volume through the knots and most of our pieces have this base where there's all these inter-knotted chains which are entangled and interconnected um, which at the time I felt like I was very much tied with, with, with him and his family. So I've been with my partner over 12 years now and so I've, I've, I've had known him for, for that long and it was one of those things where I had to just release that through the fibre and what this inter te- technique design was it started off with a heavy rooted base with all into time inter- ch- chains that would then gradually relieve um, and grow up to a exposed delicate warp um and having all these natural movement um, and ways like like you've mentioned it's just a visual metaphor of how we're all interconnected some way or another whether we like it or not and through this creative process we've been able to create those authentic connections with our suppliers with our clients um, with everyone that we've touched within the process to create and weave our own story together. Um, so that's kind of the reason why we want to not only create an aesthetically pleasing artwork, but something that means more than the fibre and it's a spiritual reminder of us and our growth and whatever we're manifesting um, at that at that moment in time.
0: That's great. What are the kind of materials that you're most loving to work with?
1: Oh, we're loving nearly everything, but I think we've always been drawn to the natural fibres. So whether it's cotton, merino wool, you know, we get so much of that here in Australia. Um, other types of kind of like pima cotton, linen, and hand-torn, hand-torn fabrics and upcycled materials. I guess like when we first started out, you know, there was that whole acrylic, synthetic, kind of like you know, stay away from that, and you know. It might be cheaper at the time, but we soon learned that no, like it's best investing in those quality materials because they're actually more of a joy to work with and the end finish is you know is much more authentic and it looks great and it's also sustainable and renewable working with like marina wool so and also we um we're very conscious about being resourceful you know you could buy as many luxurious fibers and yarns but I think it's about looking at what do we have around us that's readily available and you know most of our pieces do incorporate upcycled materials such as denim Upholstery. We re- we frequently visit co-ops in the area, which um, people, like factories, and suppliers donate, you know, offcuts and secondhand goods, and then we actually go and forage in those bins and come up with these misfit pieces that we're like hey we could we could do something with this you know it might be leather from upholstery um, factory supplier and it's like this is like really good you can see all the distressed areas whether it's the leather whether it's like you know the denim that we get from family and friends and from our own wardrobes and we just see like there's this life that was lived before and when it comes into our hands it's about re-injecting what is that new story that we can weave with? What, what's that new story that overlaps with the past, with other personalities and forms an entirely unique one?
0: Hmm. So you're you're both sisters who work together with your art and with your business. And I'm so curious to hear more about that. The first question I have is, Why did you decide to work together and what does your family think of what you're doing? (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, I think
1: it's, you know, it's definitely a good question to ask because that really asks us, you know, why, the big why. And I think it's always important to um, revisit that because it pretty much sets your outlook day to day. And I guess from day dot, you know, we are sisters and we are 13 months apart for those who don't know. So Hmm. we're already close in age. And we've, you know, been glued to the hip from day one. And I think, you know, when when you are sisters, you are instilled with the same values that your parents have instilled with you. You know, you're brought up with the same values, the same priorities. And that made it, I guess, very logical and practical to say, hey, like, we're already aligned on so many key fundamental areas. This just makes it much more easier in actually partnering up together creatively and also with a business layer on top.
2: Yeah, and, and just to add to that, um, we find that there's a sacredness of our, of our co-creation and creative process. So weaving is something that we do not share with anyone else. We don't have any other, like our partners, they're just en- engrossed with all the wool in the house. But weaving is something special um, that we found, f- have found to connect with, with each other. And we find it so easy to bounce ideas off each other. And given that we have this really strong relationship of trust, when we co-create, there's a level of empathy, and unconditionally, we have the ability to express ourselves and be vulnerable without any inhibitions, and so in a way, we, we do bring out the best in each other. Um, sometimes we know how to trigger each other, which is also at <laughs> our detriment, um, but we find nine times out of ten, the stuff that we actually do create is so much more valuable than what we can create individually, and weaving as a practice is purely just a byproduct of our relationship. So being able to do this, we're able to create artwork that resonates with our clients and hopefully we can form that authentic connection with them to make a difference in their life. So that, that's the reason why we have created Crossing Threads. Um, and at the end of the day, we have fun because we know how we know how to make to make each other laugh and we have each other's backs and going through the ups and downs. We know that anything with a small business is always having to have that resilience and to know that we're going through this together, we know that. We'll, we'll find a way.
1: Yeah. And, I, you know, our family have definitely been supportive. It was definitely a journey to say, hey, this is what we plan to do and this is our course of action. But, um, you know, they're really supportive. Dad is an integral part in, in our weaving practice. He's very enthusiastic in creating our custom looms. He's an architect. So I guess he's already had that creative vein in him and it's good to bounce ideas from him and he might be like randomly messaged us, oh, hey, that was a nice weave, or I like that balance and proportion in this one. So <laughs> hmm. um, there's definitely you know, our family, even our partners as well. Like we do call them the third and fourth threads to crossing threads. So it's not just a duo team. I guess there's, you know, there's many other threads
2: behind crossing threads, hence the name. <laughs> yeah. and. And just to, to go back to your question, too, um, our parents immigrated from the Philippines in the 1980s. So having to reconcile the Australian way with the traditional Filipino culture has always been interesting, but also a challenge. So you can kind of empathise with them to say, hey, mom and dad, you know, we're going to walk away from our full time professions that we have, you know, been financially educated in. Um, to create artwork, and at first it was a bit, you know, hard for them to digest because from their traditional ideal of success, it wouldn't necessarily meet that. But they, they know, and I guess we know from their hard work ethic that we've been brought up with, um, that you know, as long as you work hard and you and, and you show up, that you can really make anything happen. So you know, once we educated them with that, they've had they have been so supportive um, in moving forward in taking the leap.
0: It's really lucky and really sweet that your whole family is part of this in different ways and supporting it like that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, we're very grateful. I guess, you know, with other... You know, you just never know. Families are different from one to the next, and we're just very grateful that they want to play an active part. You know, they still, you know, may look from afar, but if we do need that extra hand or that level of support, you know, they're willing to put their hands up and and be part of it, which just makes each day so much more rewarding. And I guess whatever we deem as as, as success, it's also theirs as well to share it with.
0: Hmm, that's really beautiful. Can you talk a little bit more about you mentioned earlier as you're talking about this that you're co-creating? What does that look like? Are you working together literally on the same pieces or do you each have your separate pieces but you give each other feedback? I'm I'm so curious.
1: Yeah, that's really cool because um I guess behind any other creative business is always some type of process right otherwise Mm -hmm. there's just chaos and there has been chaos and we have to learn the hard lessons to say okay we need to instill some sense of process here so we are both aligned in the vision from the get-go and it makes the the process more enjoyable than you know you know more regimented and like go by the book so I guess it depends what that end output is like is it first the commission a commission piece or is it a personal piece? Um, most of the time there are commissioned pieces. So there is this process where, you know, we do conceptualise the design together. Um, and that means, you know, we go through the briefing with the client, and, but we do go on separate ways to then scamp up our ideas of, of our interpretation of that brief and like draw up a sketch of what we might think that that end piece might look like. And I guess with that, that's really good because then there's like this sense of unbiased because we still, uh, you know, we're still in our own lanes, I guess you would say. And then we come together and present each other our, our, our own interpretations and there we pick and mix, you know, the, the parts that we do want to put into that end that end sketch that we like to present to the client. And from then on... Um, we really, it's really about, okay, where which loom are we going to work with? Because, you know, the end the size of the weaving then depicts what type of loom we use. So if it is, you know, a big loom and big for us is like um, surpassing one metre, <laughs> um, hmm. you know, most of the, the bigger looms are at Cassie's house where she has higher ceilings to cater for the height of the looms and thereon we would then logistically plan out okay, how are we going to tackle this together? Because the big looms, we do work together and I have to make time out of my day and my schedule to travel to Cassie's house to then spend that time where both of us, there's four hands on this loom and we'll delegate who's working on what part. So yes, there is times where there's physically four hands on the loom, um, but then also times when say the loom is portable and is less than one metre, like you can transport that, from one place to the other, but we found that it's just best to dedicate the loom in one spot so then one of us will then lead that project. So Cassie or myself, we may lead it from conceptual stage right through to the end when we physically cut the the weaving off the loom, but then we still have those stages of of feedback, which is so integral and is definitely a part in the creative process that we're trying to master still to this day. Because I guess you can imagine, you know, receiving and um, giving feedback. There's such a fine art to it, and um, that's one thing that we've we're learning to to embrace and to say, you know, this is for the bigger picture. We're both learning. We're both learning individually on a personal level but then also on a business level. So there's this, this constant communication of refining and making sure that we work cohesively together so the end output is something that we both solely believe in and one that we, that we feel proud about. And, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much to it. So.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and just mm-hmm. to add to the feedback, um, given that we're so different in terms of we have our different preferences, um, we we definitely provide altering feedback that we wouldn't have otherwise seen from our perspective, and it's good because it keeps us on our toes. And w- one of the greatest things of of having to give feedback is that um, we're like lo- we're learning to know. Well, for me especially, being um, uh, being a, being a uh, A weaver hasn't necessarily been a natural thing given that I've been working in the corporate nine to five environment, whereas Lauren has been a graphic designer and day in, day out has has been able to adapt to the creative process quite well. So, when I received feedback at the start, it, it was actually quite hard for me, um, but I, I know that she comes from her best interests in mine and she's, and she's giving me the feedback to to elevate our work and our process and to add value. So, just seeing the opportunity and to have empathy to see things from a different perspective um, r- really picks us up when like we've been staring at the loom for eight hours and going, oh, <laughs> I just want to get rid of it. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. What happens when you disagree creatively on the direction of a piece?
2: (laughs) There's fire in the house.
0: (laughs) Burn it down. Yeah, I mean, there's
2: been many
1: times. And I guess you could say that, you know, your sister's there, like, first off. So, you know, as much as we can complete each other's sentences, there's definitely our own fire. And we both have very strong personalities individually. So I guess it's just about... Making sure that we are aligned so in those, term, those times of conflicts.
2: Um, yeah, we, we we kind of further investigate that. So. We've been reading this book called The Art and Science of Giving Feedback and the reason why there is a clash is because there's a misrepresentation of what type of feedback that you you that you're asking from the giver and what the receiver is actually getting. So we might ask, you know, is this a form of appreciation? Did you want to say, "Oh, it's actually a really good job." Or do I want some coaching? Do I want you to give me some feedback as to how I could constructively improve this? Um or is it evaluation? Is it good or is it bad? So before we ask for the feedback, what type of feedback is it that you're kind of wanting to ask, so we can have an alignment and not um, switch track in that in that way? Which has been, you know, a, a skillful, a skillful technique that we need to develop on, and just be, be, be all cognizant that we actually ask what we want to receive and come from a way that it's from our best interests and to not let the ego get in the way. Yeah, hmm. I think it's about formatting, like formatting your question, and that therefore
1: therefore it formats your intent as to what you're asking for and that just really strips it back Mm. you know because then being sisters you can you can um interpret each other differently or there might there's so much context of like the shared history in the past that might spill into like the simple question is like does this meet the client's expectation, like is this true to the scamp that we presented to the client? So therefore you're thinking of it for more of an objective um, business standpoint than more of an individual personal standpoint.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and it sounds like something that both of you have really put a lot of thought and research into developing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess our our unique is our, our relationship is unique, right? You know, having to draw the boundaries between sisters and business partners sure they get blurry yeah. at times, and you know, sometimes people go, "Oh, it's 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 better working without family." But at the same time, we feel like the benefits and trust that we derive makes us more productive than the costs that that that, that can incur with that of mm. relationship.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of being business partners how did you decide to take the leap into creating your art as a business together?
1: Yeah so I think you know after the all the experimentation and finding our groove and our own aesthetic you know there was this one email that came and someone wanted to commission a work and you know we never thought or set out to be like Hey, let's let's do a, a creative business together. We already had our own professions at that time, but there was an increased demand for it, and so we you know we never we never really say no to many things. We're always up for a challenge, and um, there were many yeses as as the hmm. time um, passed on, and it got to a point where we're like, you know, this is actually becoming commercially viable, um, and something worth exploring. And we, you know, the we didn't lose steam. Like we kept on going. The demand was there. There was interest from collaborations and other brands. And our inbox was just getting filled with 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 queries. And um, we you know, we had a production schedule in place and things started to flesh out and become more concrete as to what is crossing threads now. Um, Cassie? Yeah,
2: and and being a side hustle, um, it just got to a point where trying to maintain a 40-hour work week and working up waking up early to weave before and after work just became unsustainable and we were breaking down in terms of finding our own individual balance and relationships as sisters so the shine of weaving was actually wearing thin so we had these constant discussions as to what are we going to do because it's actually not working at the moment in balancing the two and so we each consciously made our own efforts, given the current parameters and resources that we had, and decided to carve out more time to really explore what crossing threads would be without the distractions of full-time work. So for me, um, prior to October this year, 2018, I'd been working in you know financial technology um, at the company for over seven years, and I was really grateful to be given the opportunity to have a six-month sabbatical. And what this means is that, um, I had this fortunate opportunity of free time to be physically and mentally and emotionally available and I saw it as a smart and financially sound decision to have a taster of what it would take and what it would be to lead a creative life and most people usually use a sabbatical to travel but I saw this as an extension of what I was currently already doing before and after work Um, whereas Lauren she also.
1: Yeah, I guess with me, like I've, I'm being a designer. The creative life isn't new. It's just like there's just so much happening, and weaving was just another outlet to flex that creative muscle. But just like what Cassie said, it became, it got to a point where it was unsustainable. Like I could probably count three burnouts <laughs> in the time mm. that crossing threads was a side hustle, and it really took a toll on my health. And our health, like you know, both of our health, our our relationship as sisters, you know, what is the business if our relationship falls apart? It's not worth that. So we had to really stop and think, what can we do to change our life, to be more in our favor but still enjoy the aspects that we love about weaving, about working together at a fundamental standpoint and go, okay, what can we physically do to create the reality that we want because the current life situation wasn't a good one. And so I left left full-time work in April this year um with the with the intent to like I'll still freelance with my graphic design which I have been since April and still have that bandwidth to dedicate to Crossing Threads. So now it's just like a much more balanced lifestyle where I can still be sharp at the tools in advertising agency life but then also explore more with what Crossing Threads could be without that pressure and without that stress and um
2: competing
1: priorities. Competing priorities, yeah. <laughs> hmm
0: And what's on the horizon for Crossing Threads in the coming year?
1: Oh, I think, well, definitely with this um, six-month sabbatical, we're both asking each other, you know, what does this mean for us? Because prior to the six-month sabbatical, we both had this vision like we're going to up our game, we're going to build our business, we're going to, you know, release a collection, this and that. But slowly we're learning while now we're in the figure, but that that vision is changing. And really it is just about maintaining that sustainable relationship with creativity. And that that Mm -hmm. necessarily doesn't have to mean crossing threads, you know, like crossing threads has always been like this breathing beast, this thing that we're both nurturing and we're feeding, but we need to make sure that both of us are balanced and are getting what each of us want out of it. And that might, that changes day to day because we're still individual people.
2: Yeah. But in terms of, of crossing threads as a business, um, we have um, commissions in line at the moment. We're working on a large scale commission for Hong Kong, our first Hong Kong commission. And it's definitely um, been such a creative joy to create, but also new lessons have been learnt along the way. So. And we're also working on um, our tassel collection. So we thought to kind of branch out of just the woven tapestries to create tassels. And that way it's all almost like a bite-sized piece of a large crossing threads piece. And we've, we've received really positive feedback because our clients have been able to have, um, you know, a piece of us, a smaller piece of us, and kind of dipping their toes into actually owning a crossing threads piece, which, um, you know, it's our target market is towards the higher net wealth clients. Um, so on the horizon, um, it's practically more, more collections, but also us having to find new ways to innovate and, and to see really how, how can we push our aesthetic further.
0: Hmm. One thing I've been curious about as I've been looking at your work is that it looks really heavy because it's so dense with these textured materials. And I'm curious if that's true, and if so, if you've developed any tricks to keep the heavy pieces intact as you're making them, and when they're off the loom. I know you mentioned that your father is building looms for you, so
1: yeah, that's a good probably... question. Yeah, yeah. So this with the you know with all our queries, queries they're mostly big pieces, and that's like you know a piece that surpasses one meter, and now. 150 centimetres wide and now two metres wide. So we had to build these custom looms that would not only work for us ergonomically, but also fit in our homes as well. So our dad has been an integral part in in building those looms. Um, and the pieces are heavy. It's always interesting when we finally cut the weaving off the loom, like we then, you know, clean the back of it, which, which, which then also decreases the weight or makes it more accurate as possible. And then we weigh them. And they're like, you know, 10 kilos, 15 kilos. Wow. Our wow. biggest one was... Um, 20 kilos. No, it was 30, 35 no kilos. Way. Oh my because goodness. The, <laughs> but, but because the weaving itself was, I think it was close to 20, 25 kilograms. But then the beam of what it hung off was like 15 kilos. So all, all up, you're kind of factoring not just the fibre, but, but what, you know, the physical dowel or, or rod that it, it suspends from.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've
1: definitely learnt some um, um, tips and tricks with like maintaining the structural integrity behind our pieces um, and, you know, that's just through trial and error and also about distributing the weights on the loom. So as you mentioned before, like our knot technique and all those you know protruding lines and and fibers that do stick out we have to strategically place them as much as it may look freeform and intuitive and organic there is some type of like process behind it if we're going to put a negative space to the left it's like how do you then counterbalance that on the right and how do you then relieve the stress points in in the warp you know with with the different types of materials that we use they do vary in in thickness in texture in ply in weight so it's is through extensive experimentation we've learned to go okay avoid these certain things these certain certain fibers or certain ways to use those fibers and then like add security here or brace it there so then when you finally do take it off the loom it does hang or suspend the way that you envisaged it and also be readily available to actually mount on the wall. So installation has definitely become a key factor that we're thinking of early on in the process. So we've teamed up with, um, we're having a a really good art installer here and it's just about asking him as well and also asking the client, you know, what is your wall composition? Because as much as we like to package the weave and send it off, we want it to be readily available to hang on the wall and not sit in the box. So, here we're looking at the wall composition, how is best to uphold, you know, a 10 kilogram weave or let alone a 35 kilogram weave, um, and just really factor those decisions early on in the process. So, we're kind of, you know, where there's no surprises later yeah. on when we finally take it off the loom.
2: And, and given it is such a slow art, we want to make sure that every step of the way that these pieces do stand the test of time and cuz in most inco- occasions our artworks have been created with that in mind and to be family heirlooms that are passed down to their to their generations etc so really trying to maintain that structural integrity but also being cognizant of how long will this last and we and we definitely want them to be something that's passed down to kids etc
0: so where can people go online and on social media to learn more about crossing threads yeah, sure. So you can find us on Instagram at
1: CrossingThreads. Threads and um, we also have our website crossingthreads.co where you can learn more about us. Um, we also have our, our newsletter where we do release, you know, the time and date of when our collections do go live. So our subscribers get a little bit of a first dib sneaky preview before we publicly announce it to everyone else. Yeah, so they're the, the key platforms for us to find us on.
0: Wonderful. And I will link to those in the show notes and also include some photos of your work so people can see and understand exactly what you've been describing in this conversation. Thank you. I I really, really appreciate both of you taking the time to talk with me today and share your story. And I'm wondering if before we sign off, you could each share some parting advice for weavers out there. Sure. Cassie.
2: Well, um, our first one is to, is to really expand your intake of data. So, don't just limit your exposure to just weaving or wool and yarn um, or things that you're, you're, you're kind of interested off the bat. You, sh- you should really go out and expose yourself to other various mediums and disciplines. Um, and this can really expose yourself to other artists which can really open your eyes and create empathy for things that you don't necessarily like, think of um, immediately. And what this means is that you can really explore and create art that doesn't necessarily meet all the rules of your traditional fibre art form. So an example of this is that uh, I am a young ambassador for the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney and what this means is that I I get to expand my social circle and converse with other like-minded individuals to visit gallery exhibitions, private viewings, artist talks and events um, that I would not normally go on my own or go through the effort of doing So our advice is to really reach out to other makers, creatives, artists that you wouldn't necessarily talk to on a day-to-day basis. You can really learn from their practice and struggles um, because really they're all going through the same process and there's always key takeaways you can, you know, good good nuggets to, to take away and actually implement into your own practice.
1: Yeah, I think that's key because like the more you see that's different to what you would see. If you're following other weavers and your Instagram feed or your email inbox is just weaving, weaving, yarn, yarn, knitting, knitting, you're very limited to how you can expand your horizons. So mix things up to make your outlook on the world varied and constantly changing, which will then hopefully spill into the actual artwork that you're producing
0: really wonderful advice and thank you both so much thank you sarah thank you it's a pleasure it was lovely talking that's a wrap your listening experience of this podcast really won't be complete until you see lauren and cass's work so definitely head to the show notes at com slash episode 50 to see photos and links
1: hello Next week on the podcast, I'm talking with Sally Fox. Sally is an organic, biodynamic farmer located in the Capay Valley of Northern California. Sally's farm is comprised of climate-beneficial wool from merino sheep, as well as naturally and organically bred, color-grown cotton. Sally is one of the few organic cotton farmers in America and has made a huge contribution to the genetics of cultivating as well as bringing color-grown cotton to the commercial market. So tune in next week for the fascinating conversation. Until next time, happy weaving!